Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. This time on Gamers Week podcast. I remember playing Leisure Suit Larry on my dad's Tandy computer, and I wasn't supposed to touch that game. (laughs) Why ever not? Well. (laughs) So now that you said that it's not like a Dr. Seuss game, all I keep thinking about is that they should make a raunchy Dr. Seuss game now. Oh. (laughs) Like, (laughs) do you like green legs and fanny? (laughs) I might keep workshopping that. (laughs) I would not could not in a bar. (laughs) (laughs) I could, I would. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to cut that one out. Yeah, we are. That was nice of you to join us for Mario Kart this weekend, Ryan. Yeah. It was a fantastic time. Dane to go slum it with us in the Mario Kart lobbies. Yeah. Sometimes I just uh, just got to do it, you know? Well, we appreciate your sacrifice. Just got to come down with the plebs. Mm-hmm. Next time you can come back with the uh, Splatoon Master Race and play that with me. Well, oh, I didn't get Splatoon 3, so. Oh, no. Oh, oh, okay. So uh, if like one was sent to you in the mail, say. <laughs> I don't feel that, I mean, you could, but I don't feel you'd get your $60 worth out of that purchase. What if I beg really, really hard? I do like when you beg. On your knees. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Come on. I don't want to play Splatoon. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Sure. Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, the worst, and the weirdest headlines in the past week, the video game industry. Today is episode N64. Wow. You went for it. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Today is Wednesday, March 15, 2023. I am Ryan, a.k.a. Retro Gamers, and I will be your host for this evening, but I am joined with my two Amazing co-host. Uh, first of all, he's a man who is currently under investigation for crimes against humanity in a case the media is dumbing. Fanny Pack Gate, Donnie G Retro. Donnie, how you doing? Um, no comment. My lawyer says I can't say anything. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just keep quiet and just nod. <laughs> And next up is a woman who likes to swing both ways. Those ways, of course, are Link and Birdo and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. (laughs) 
Blue, how you doing tonight? Uh, again, no comment. My lawyers say that I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> it's a very litigious version of Gamers <laughs> <Right>. Week. <laughs> doing well, thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't we go ahead without further ado and jump into our reviews, reactions, and requests for the week. First up from Professor Hobboskins. Great name, by the way. Funky Podcast. Love it. Funky. <laughs> Funky. Next up, it's Amy. Highly recommend this podcast for gamers. It's a funny and informative way to keep up with the latest industry news. Thank you, Amy. See, we're actual reporters. <laughs> journalists. We're journalists. Uh, with, journalists. Uh, with the Sorry, quotation journalists. marks around it. <laughs> as much as the word journalist even means anymore. <laughs> and last up is Mr. Coin Laundry. Listening to the older episodes of Gamers Week now, on the predictions episode, I also I want to also predict that Sega will do something big this year. I want to <gasps> throw in <laughs> that someone unexpected will come out with a new IP fighting game. So you're not out on that limb all by your lonesome there, Donnie. No, no. I've got a friend. You've got a friend in me. That's uh, that's pretty awesome that somebody else shares my sentiment with Sega regarding how they need to make a comeback and not just make a stupid mini console again. Yeah, I think if they're going to do something big this year, mini consoles automatically don't qualify. Right. 100%. Right. Big mini is funny. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I got all the jokes. I'll be here all night. <laughs> Tip your waitress. Enjoy the veal. <laughs> Do drink minimum. And now it's time for the. Yiggity, yiggity, yo, yo, yo. This is D to the R to the G. Say, listen to the Gamers Week podcast on the hit. <laughs> Very important poll, yo. <laughs> Let's take it back to Yo MTV Raps. Right. <laughs> I love it. Every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP, our very important poll. If you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Now, this week's question was in honor of St. Patrick's Day, St. Patty's Day. What is your favorite oh. bar slash tavern in video games? Davey's about to kill you. <laughs> I know. He's going to come through my headphones and, and squish my head. <laughs> Bringing up the rear this week in third place, the Rocket Bar from Squace, from Squace, from Space Quest <laughs> at 8.8%. Squace Pest. <laughs> I'm sure you can find that on Steam. <laughs> Uh, coming in second with 19.4% uh, is Afterlife from Mass Effect. And your winner this week by a hefty margin of 40.6% was Seventh Heaven from Final Fantasy VII. Now, 31.2% of you said others. So let's take a look at some of the comments from the poll. At Gaming and Gain says, this might be the fact that I played this when I was 12, but lefties from Leisure Suit Larry. Granted, in college, we had several bars similar to this, minus the Lady of the Night. I couldn't agree more. At Winstolf says the hotel bar in Galbadia in Final Fantasy VIII Eight. always looked like a very classy night out and had live music. I always thought Bioware bars had zero atmosphere, just three people throwing shapes in large, mostly empty spaces to naff dance music. At Steve Benway says the great pug in VR chat. I mean, it's not exactly a game, but it's a great place to drink while not leaving your own home. At Mr. Chainsaw says cock and plucker conquers bad fur day. Great title. Yeah, that's and a good add name. Jason, 
At Jason Gervin says, Jackie's Cafe from Earthbound. Seventh Heaven has an eight-year-old making drinks. So they're all like high C and sunny delight. <laughs> Ecto cooler. Yep. So with this week's question, Ryan, what was your choice of bar? Uh, so I'm actually going to go with the consensus here from the poll. And pick Seventh Heaven for Final Fantasy VII for a Shocker. few different reasons. Right. For a few different reasons. <laughs> so for one, uh, yeah, eight-year-old making drinks. Uh, she makes a mean uh, Manhattan. So good for Marlene. Secondly. That seems uh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> secondly, I think at one point they say uh, that the drinks at the Seventh Heaven are the best in Midgar. So naturally, either all the bars suck in Midgar or, uh, yeah. They're really good. And then the third one is that there is a pinball machine uh, that, depending on how you play it, uh, takes you down to a sweet man cave. I don't know of any other bar that does that. So, yeah, Seventh Heaven gets my vote. Why do you need a man cave if they've already got a pinball machine and drinks? Well, it's, it's like an extended. Question. It's extended, man. It's, it's, you know, if you just want to relax and chill out and watch newscasts about Avalanche or something. I don't know. <laughs> and... Put your hand down your pants so nobody else has to be uncomfortable. Uh, I think I, I think Al, I would do the that. Al Bundy I'll, way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that anyway, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Blue, what about you? What was your choice of bar uh, slash tavern? Well, it's a little embarrassing, but this question made me realize that I don't think I've played very many games with bars slash taverns in them. That really came to mind. Like, um, I, I've played some Final Fantasy VII. I played some Mass Effect, you know, some Witcher. But I can't say that I've ever, like, really been embedded in a game and and, and gotten attached to a bar in a game. So <laughs> I had to dig real deep for this one. And I've used this game in a, in a poll answer before. But I'm going to go back to Wing Commander on Super Nintendo. Nice. Okay. The main hub of that game is the bar in the ship. And the bar doesn't even have a name, but you know it's a bar because the guy standing behind the bar top, his handle is Shot Glass. So if you want to go get the gossip on the ship, you got to go talk to Shot Glass. Nice. <laughs> and then you can also sit and have drinks with some of the other characters in the game. And uh, that's where you get a little bit of the backstory and a little bit of the plot that happens. And and the dialogue changes, of course, based on how the missions go. Like if one of your comrades gets shot down, then um, like people will talk about it in the bar, how much, you know, they miss this person. So, right. It's uh, that's you know, depressing. <laughs> I know, but I mean, there's also good stuff. If you happen to get promoted, they'll congratulate you on your promotion. So for a Super Nintendo game, I thought it was pretty cool. Do you get to talk to Mark Hamill while you're there? No, Mark Hamill was not there. He's not in that one, I don't think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to be waiting around a long time for Mark Hamill to show up. Right. So what about you, Donnie? I I'm more along the lines uh, of your way of thinking, Blue. Like I, I was, really wasn't attached to any type of bar in a video game per se. However, saying that, um, there were only two bars that I immediately thought of. I didn't even think of Seventh Heaven from Final Fantasy VII. I didn't really even recall that one. The two that instantly came to mind were the ones that Gaming and Gains mentioned, which was Lefties from Leisure Suit Larry. I think mm -hmm. that was the very first, aside from Tappers, you know, the, the actual 
video game called Tapper. Aside from that one, the the bar that instantly comes to mind is Lefties. I remember playing Leisure Suit Larry on my dad's Tandy computer, and I wasn't oh, wow. supposed to touch that game. And <laughs> why ever not? Well, <laughs> it wasn't exactly a Doctor Seuss type setting. You know, you've got the you got to go in there. You got to find the the rose. You got to get the condoms. You got to um, find the ring, the diamond ring and all that stuff. And you got to, you got to use this vulgar language that I was like, as a kid, I'm like, Oh, this is great. You know, I can say have sex with women and it, it does it. It does the thing. And I was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. This is so cool. I'm an adult now. Um, <laughs> it's very sleazy now that I think about it. And I didn't think about that way as a kid. I just thought it was, you know, it was sex. So it was cool. The, the other bar that came to mind was the Jagged Nails Club from Shadowrun on the Super Nintendo. Oh, yeah. I remember waiting in line to see, um, I think you had to you had to have some sort of ticket to be able to get into the Jagged Nails Club to see Kitsune perform. And so you progressed through the game. You go up to this bar. You couldn't get in. They said you needed a ticket. But as soon as you did get in, it was this it was pretty expansive for the Super Nintendo for this particular setting. And you got to see Kitsune do her dance and sing and yada, yada, yada. It's got this loud music playing. And I'm just like, all right, this is what a bar should be like. Okay, where's my drink? And of course, you don't get to drink. You don't get to uh, imbibe in that particular game. But uh, I just thought it looked cool. And it's from one of my favorite games ever, which is Shadowrun. So now that you said that it's not like a Dr. Seuss game, all I keep thinking about is that they should make a raunchy Dr. Seuss game now. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you like green legs and fanny? <laughs> I might keep workshopping that. <laughs> I would not, could not in a bar. <laughs> I could, I would. <laughs> we're gonna cut that one out yeah we are <laughs> we appreciate it though yeah, thank you <laughs> i'd say keep it in <laughs> that's what she Giggity. said <laughs> <laughs> all right so why don't we go ahead and shout out our patrons for the week We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. And we have two new patrons to announce. A big thank you and welcome to Retro Blast Pat and Orgasmo 3000. They'll be joining Great Siaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, Johnny Boombots, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, Terry Kinnear, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide, You Fall Before Me, Davey PGH, The Red Ox, PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Number One, Blue Sick Voice Fan, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Emo-esque, Bill Tucker, The Real Retro Game Brews, Fruitcake's Number One Stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, The Wizard of Zardoz, and Bobson Dugnut. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing, like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Ryan. Paging Dr. Payne. Oh, I've been talking. I've been talking for like the last... 
<laughs> we got nothing. Right. Uh, well, I can show you the recording <laughs> that I've got going out of the background. Son of a. All right. So why don't we go ahead and take a look at our headlines for the week? Our headline segment is proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic family friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Robin Hugh pick two games to play and discuss as well as news, interviews and other topics. Currently, they're playing through POW and Pac-Mania. Visit them at RetroGameClub.net or follow the link in the show notes. Pac-Mania. Is that the weird platformer Pac-Man? Uh, I actually don't know. I think Pac-Mini was actually on Atari, if I remember right. Was it? Yeah. yeah, it's not a platformer. It's like um, it's like an isometric view where it's still a maze. Oh, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What one am I thinking of? It's on the Super Nintendo. It's like Pac-Man Land or something like that. But yeah. And it's god awful. It It's like platforming and point and click. And it's super confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh it's probably one of the worst games I've ever played, and poor Pac-Man has to live with that legacy. Right. Yeah, they were trying to take Pac-Man out of his element and put him into something like Super Mario Brothers, and it's like, nope, does not work. <laughs> so compared to that, Pac-Man is probably amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> On the pantheon of Pac-Man games, it's much higher. Right. <laughs> right. All right, first up from Nerdvania, The Last of Us, GoldenEye 007, Wii Sports, among 2023 Video Game Hall of Fame finalists. The Strong Museum in Rochester, New York, today announced its dozen 2023 World Video Game Hall of Fame finalists for induction this year. Age of Empires, Angry Birds, Barbie Fashion Designer, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, Computer Space, FIFA International Soccer, GoldenEye 007, The Last of Us, NBA 2K, Quake, Wii Sports, and Wizardry. The 2022 inductees were Mrs. Pac-Man, Dance Dance Revolution, The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Sid Meier's Civilization. It's always difficult to narrow the World Video Game Hall of Fame nominations down to just 12 finalists because there are so many games that have had an enormous influence on popular culture or the video game industry itself. This year's finalists are some heavy hitters, said John Paul C. Dyson, director of the Strong's International Center for the History of Electronic Games. Angry Birds turned millions of smartphone users into gamers. FIFA International Soccer is a worldwide bestseller with every yearly update. Computer Space was the very first arcade machine, so its importance in history can't be overstated. And then there's a brilliant game like The Last of Us, which has become a smash hit TV show for HBO. The World Video Game Hall of Fame received thousands of nominations for consideration for the 2023 class. The final inductees will be announced in a virtual ceremony by The Strong on Thursday, May 4th at 10.30 a.m. The World Video Game Hall of Fame recognizes electronic games that meet the following criteria. Icon status. The game is widely recognized and remembered. Longevity. The game is more than a passing fad and has enjoyed popularity over time. Geographical reach. The game meets the above criteria across international boundaries. And influence. The game has exerted significant influence on the design and development of other games, on other forms of entertainment, or on popular culture and society in general. And I have questions about Barbie fashion designer. <laughs> well, apparently it, it reaches across international borders and is an icon. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I guess I've never I've never heard of this game. Exactly. And neither have I. Yeah. P- trying to pretend like you don't know this game. Well, uh, like you haven't played hours. <laughs> if you look at my Steam thing, it says amount of hours played is like 8000. <laughs> I was going to make that exact same joke. Show us the Steam library. We demand to see it. Right. Every single game on this list I have heard of, except for Barbie Fashion Designer. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got nothing. Weird. I'm going to see if I can find some sales on it. I'm not. <laughs> and then Wizardry, that was an interesting choice. Because <laughs> that was a, I think Wizardry was on the Nintendo, the NES, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's technically that's Wizardry 5. Uh, so Wizardry, though, is one of like the first ever RPGs. I think Wizardry would be an excellent choice for it just because of the the history behind it agree think about it it's it's also what influenced dragon quest and eventually influenced final fantasy so just thinking about the impact that it's had is huge so you guys are ready to have your minds blown about barbie fashion designer i'm ready hit me okay barbie fashion designer is a dress-up computer game published by mattel media for microsoft windows and mac OS in 1996. After its success, many other girl games would be made, leading to the girls' games movement. It was the ninth best-selling PC game of 1996, outselling Quake and Doom. No kidding. Crap. So, yeah. And then we got great titles like uh, the Olsen twins on Game Boy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Their shopping extravaganza on, um, I think, PS1. Yep. Yeah, so I'm not so sure its progeny is all that much to be proud of, but if it's outselling Quake and Doom, you do have to give it some respect, I think. For sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> reluctantly, he agrees. <laughs> Very <laughs> reluctantly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it doesn't have to nail the it doesn't have to hit the nail on the head with every single category, right? It just it, right. for most for the most part, you know, not widely popular, at least for th- most of the people who weren't into those games, but to a certain sect of people, yes, they were. Or yes, mm-hmm. it was. So of these nominees, anybody want to make some predictions what will get inducted? Uh, I'm going to go with GoldenEye 007, I think will get inducted. Um, Computer Space, I think will be inducted. And I'm going to go with uh, The Last of Us as well. Solid guesses. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Donnie? Well, it looks like... So, do they only take four? Uh, I think it just depends on the year. It's I, okay. I don't know if it's just four. Then I don't think... Um, this, ah, this is kind of tough. Because like I said, Angry Birds really turned a bunch of people into uh, gamers, quote unquote, right. with their right. mobile phones. But Candy Crush did too. And I don't remember which one came out first, if it was Angry Birds or Candy Crush. At least Angry Birds is an actual game. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not wrong. I I, I would agree. Uh, Candy Crush seems almost like a slot machine as right, opposed to right. Angry Birds. So I'm going with Angry Birds, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, and Wii Sports. Solid. Blue, what about you? I think I would go Angry Birds, Golden Eye, and man it's tough Mm -hmm. it's tough it is i would count out the last of us except for the fact that the world is just so goddamn nutter butters over that that ip that was my thought process um well they were they were nutter nutter butters for the the games too the games themselves were you know blockbuster hits yeah, they just keep remaking it every couple of years and people keep buying <laughs> right, it. Right, right. It's the Grand Theft Auto of uh, right. <laughs> the new IPs. Right. Okay, so, uh, okay, I'm going to say Angry Birds. I'm going to say GoldenEye. And just to be different, I'm going to go Age of Empires. Hmm. I like the difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good, that's a decent variety. 
yeah, in a couple months here, we'll revisit this topic, see which of us were closest. And I'm looking forward to being wrong like I always am. Well, I hope not because we both said GoldenEye. So right. I hope you get at least one right. Well, and think about with GoldenEye, how popular it was, how popular it still continues to be. And mm-hmm. now that it's getting a remake or slash remaster, and it's going to be it's, – it's going to get a lot more people engaged with the game and not having to play on the horrible N64 controller. <laughs> I think according to Zach, huge things. He said it still plays like it's on an N64 controller. Oh, it does? Okay. <laughs> I yeah. imagine so. It's They didn't change anything, so it's just a straight port. Well, but didn't uh, Xbox come out with like a, an advanced version of it, though? But you couldn't play it online, so. though. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, they remade it. Yeah, the stupid decision not to be able to play it online. Mm-hmm. They forced you to have friends over. Like, least fun part of this game, please. (laughs) Right. All right, next up from Games Rant. The new Silent Hill movie reboot synopsis hints at changes to the video game. Konami and director Christoph Gunz have released new updates on the upcoming Silent Hill movie reboot, Return to Silent Hill, including plot details, casting news, and a hint of entirely new monsters. According to Deadline, the premise for Return to Silent Hill embeds itself firmly in the mythos of the game and films. This time in its town wrought with layers of terrible history and horror, James, played by Jeremy Irvin from Warhorse, searches for the woman he loved and lost, played by Hannah Emily Anderson from Jigsaw and X-Men Dark Phoenix. The film will follow James, a man broken after being separated from his one true love, read the official synopsis. When a mysterious letter calls him back to Silent Hill in search of her, he finds a once recognizable town transformed by an unknown evil. As James descends deeper into the darkness, he encounters terrifying figures both familiar and new and begins to question his own sanity as he struggles to make sense of reality and hold on long enough to save his lost love. The premise emphasizes the underground journey of the hero and heroine consistent throughout the franchise, which often offers up great monsters and threats, including the terrifying mutant nurses and the sword-wielding pyramid head. However, producer Victor Hadida has promised a whole new set of creature designs in the new sequel and greater creative expansion on the game's existing baddies. Christoph and I have been working closely with our partners at Konami as they update the video game to also create a version of Silent Hill for the theatrical audiences of today, Hadida said. You will still find the iconic monsters, but there will also be new designs. We are confident that this new film and Konami's updated game together will propel the franchise forward for years to come. I have mixed feelings about this. I can imagine. What are your feelings? (laughs) For a game this old, came out in 2001, so over 20 years old, the monsters are familiar. The monsters are, 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 they're iconic, but they're also kind of blah at this point. Like Mm -hmm. you've seen them, you know what to expect. And by adding additional monsters into the game, then, then they kind of freshen it up and make sure that the playthrough stays scary, even for people who are, are extremely familiar with the original game. The part I'm not sure about necessarily is reworking the plot because it seems like they're trying to do the same thing. Essentially, the main character is still called James. He's still searching for this woman that he loved. Only now she's not his wife. She's just his lost love. Why, (laughs) why, why would they make that change? Why would they make that distinction? I'm not (laughs) sure. It kind of makes me wonder what other things they're going to change just because it sounds good to them. 
versus it's a change that actually has a purpose and and will result in a better experience overall. It's like, we just feel like doing it this way. So we're going to do it this way. Right. Uh, because it makes it so much scarier when Hannah... Emily Anderson is just a booty call instead of his wife, right? Right, exactly. Because then you really feel the connection. You feel James's guilt over watching his wife dying in front of his eyes and and being helpless, and then all the other guilt that he wrestles with, according to that, which puts so much emotion into the original game. But now it's just like, oh, I'm just looking for this girlfriend I had. <laughs> oh, sh- she got killed. Well, uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you later. I'll hop on Tinder. <laughs> Excuse me, Pyramid Head. I need to right swipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, nope, he's carrying a sword. He's got a great body, though. No, nope, can't do that. Swipe. <laughs> Can I just say that there is a large fan base out there that has a kink for Pyramid Head? Oh, uh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> Probably the same fan base that has the same kink for the nurses. That's fair. That's fair. But I just, I, I, I don't get that one. Uh, maybe it's just me, but... You don't get the nurses? No, the, the, the pyramid head piece. You get the it. nurses then. <sighs> <laughs> See? I'm just saying your orientation probably has a, a little bit of an explanation fair. why you don't get the pyramid head one. That is fair. Uh, but a guy who's wearing a big pyramid helmet, carrying around a sword, yes, he's, he's definitely in shape. But I just say, I guess I just don't get it. Maybe it's the... Uh, uh, prude in me that just doesn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably one of the few people in existence that actually liked the original Silent Hill movie. I thought it was pretty good. I I thought the CGI was, was uh, fairly light, but it, it, it helped the movie itself. I, I just, I don't really understand why you want to put different monsters in like it. And now you're going to build a game off of that. I think they're they're recognizing that they're going to face the same problem a little bit the Resident Evil 4 remake is facing. Right. Because I played the Chainsaw demo this past weekend, and because I'm so familiar with the first game, I said a lot of the jump scares I knew that they were there. Like, right. I know that there's bear traps hidden around here that I have to watch out for. I know that in this cabin, there's a guy who's going to jump out and try to scare me. I know that the Chainsaw Man is going to come at this point in the game. It, it was almost like a casual trip down memory lane versus the terrifying experience that it's supposed to be. So I'm sure that they are are recognizing that and trying to help mitigate that, hopefully, for the Silent Hill 2 remake. You know, I felt the same way when I did the uh, Final Fantasy VII remake demo, played that mm-hmm. one. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that. I know what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. And when I heard people were struggling with it, it was like, why? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was like, I had this on the hardest difficulty. I don't understand why people are getting this. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the other part is of this is too is a who is the audience for this, right? Who are they trying to attract to this? Uh, specifically, the movie, not necessarily the game, but the mm-hmm. movie. They're trying to bring in a broader audience to it. So, what I think they're trying to do is is compromise, right? You're bringing in a new audience, so you've got something that's new and fresh for them to talk about. But the old audience might appreciate some uh, a different experience, as long as it doesn't deviate too much. From what made the game great, the fact that there's a lot to be afraid of, that you don't know what's next around the corner, uh-huh. as long as that core amount of gameplay is there, adding a few extras, maybe not the worst idea of all time. But you're, of course, going to have people who are, are the purists that want it exactly, exactly the way it was. But those are in the minority. I guess I, I'm in the same camp as Blue. I have mixed feelings about it, but mm-hmm. I, I don't want them to ruin it. But I also would love to, to experience a, you know something a little different. 
Of course. Yeah. And that's that's something that we talked about last week with the whole Dead by Daylight movie that's coming out. Right. We right. don't want them to ruin it. And you're like, oh, I, I don't think they can do that bad of a job. And we're like, whoa, whoa, wait a <laughs> second. Like, <laughs> uh, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Pump the brakes, big guy. <laughs> In in, in uh, to compound your point, purists want things to be exactly how they were and continue on with like Van Halen when David Lee Roth left and Sammy Hagar come in. The purist was like, nope, this is not Van Halen. This is Van Hagar. This is something different. Even though it was technically the Van Halen sound, they were just trying new things. I, I'm kind of on, I'm teeter tottering on that board with being a purist and wanting to try new things. Right. I love the Silent Hill IP, the franchise itself, but seeing something fresh in there, it's not going to hurt a whole hell of a lot as long as they keep the original content and storyline there. Yeah, that's the thing is, is I'm more open to the idea of additional monsters and challenges versus now I'm a little bit concerned that they're going to take the emotional core of the story and just kind of sweep it under the rug for whatever reason it is that they've got. So. I think it's going to definitely be up to Konami to prove it to us that this is going to work and that it's going to live up to the Silent Hill name that we have come to love. We hope so. Or they could just bring back Kojima, you know. <laughs> I knew that was going to come across as a, not the most <laughs> ideal answer I to mean, the question. Again, man, I would love to have Silent Hills. That's like one of the great tragedies of my video game life is that we never got Silent Hills. But right. yeah, I mean, everybody knows I'm not the biggest fan of Kojima. I thought he was a co-genius. He still is. <laughs> Just not with Silent Hill. <laughs> All right, next up from Games Radar, Resident Evil 4 Remake Demo sparks huge debate over player signposting. Last week saw a brand new Resident Evil 4 Remake Demo go live on all platforms, meaning fans have finally got the chance to try the opening minutes of the game, as well as uncovering a few Resident Evil 4 demo secrets. The opening section includes an action-packed village segment with the chainsaw-wielding warrior, and found in this section are plenty of wooden boxes with yellow markings. These boxes can be broken by Leon S. Kennedy to uncover ammo or health items. An unintended side effect of the wooden boxes is that it set games Twitter into a frenzy, with thousands of users debating over the past weekend if the boxes are actually good game design or not. The yellow obviously makes the boxes stand out to the player, indicating that there's something different about them. Once the player learns they can smash the boxes by interacting with them, Capcom's developers have effectively succeeded in their goal of getting the player to notice the yellow boxes wherever they go in Resident Evil 4 Remake. However, others think that bringing up a temporary button prompt to smash the boxes is far better than giving players a dedicated vision mode to discern interactable items. The Witcher 3 employs this trick for Gerald's special Witcher vision, allowing him to see objects highlight in red that he can interact with for new information. Resident Evil 4 Remake finally launches next week on March 24th. Be warned, though, copies of the game have already launched ahead of schedule, meaning spoilers and other unknown details will already be making their way around the internet. So you mean games Twitter? is acting up and freaking out over something? <laughs> no. No, nonsense. I don't believe it. I'm going to pull my old gamer card on this one. Okay. How many times have you played a Nintendo game or a Super Nintendo game where the wall was different? <laughs> so you immediately <laughs> knew, like every Zelda game, like, oh, I got to bomb this. Yep. 
Right. I knew right. it, right? That didn't ruin my, my gaming experience. But I guess I, I could see how some people want that to be a little less obvious. And maybe that means that you can feel good that you discovered something that not everybody got a chance to. They may have passed over. But I'm just so used to game developers going, hey, do this. This is the thing that's going to get you. Oh, wait. <laughs> you discovered the secret that was apparently obvious to you. Well, in the original game, they're already super light colored, almost white. So they already stand out like beacons against the drab brown of the the village. They're really not hard to find as it is. So what if they went ahead and just put a little yellow X and like spray paint over them? That didn't really matter much to me. And even in the original game, once you break it open, if there's an item in there, it glows. It literally glows. There's a big glowing light that comes right. up from the ground. So you you don't walk over it. You You see it and can pick it up. And the original game is freaking difficult enough as it is without yeah, people missing shotguns on the walls and stuff like that. Yeah. I wonder who would have done that when he streamed the game know. last night and just walked right past the shotgun that he could pick up. And <laughs> everybody in chat was like, go back, go back, go back. <laughs> what a noob. Right? It's like you never played this game before. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's a big deal. In fact, I can't even think of a game off the top of my head where I thought the signposting was too much. I actually don't mind it because it, it, it cuts down on a lot of the unnecessary actions. Case in point with Link and these damn pots and trying to find out which one have the damn rupees in it. You know, I, I, I kind of get it because you want to extend the play time, the, the, the amount of time that somebody's in that universe, that world. But I got to tell you, if I'm looking at 50 pots, I don't want to sit there and pick every single one of them up and throw it. Exactly. If it's a mini game, sure, that's fine. But if it's part of the core gameplay mechanic, I, I'm going to get bored and I'm going to go away. Right. And especially if one of the items in those boxes is something that you absolutely need in order to succeed in a game. That right. becomes extremely annoying. That's one of the things I hate about just old school RPGs is that, oh, you've got to you got to corner yourself around every wall because there might be a hidden door somewhere that you got to find to get the ultimate weapon that you need in order to progress in the game. That's super annoying. I just, you know, sometimes right. I just want to play a game for crying and, out loud. And <laughs> think about an NES game where that is taken to the extreme, Milan's Secret Castle. The only way to get oh through that God. game is to hit every single square in that grid of that level. You have to shoot every single one. Because otherwise, you literally can't progress until you find the secrets. And there's no other way to find the secrets except for trial and error on every square in that grid. And the worst part about that is that if you don't do it quick enough, all of a sudden, if I remember right, lightning bolts start going across. The, That's only the... if you're outside the castle. Oh, my bad. Okay. It doesn't go. allow you to linger outside the castle. But if you're inside, yeah, you just shoot that wand. Bring. <laughs> 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 So I think the moral of the story is that Game Twitter, Game Twitter, Twitter, Game Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> Game Twitter, of course, overreacting as usual mm -hmm. uh, to something that's fairly mundane. Uh, one person gets mad; everybody else has to jump on it uh, in order to to be a part of the, the outrage. Uh, to come to find out that it's a nothing burger. Surprise! Yep. Games need to be easy to play, <laughs> but, but we're going to argue about yellow signs on boxes. Here at Gamers Week, we like signposting. We don't mind the help. <laughs> Not at all. All right, so why don't we take a look at our top three new releases for the week? 
Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon. Switch. Long before this trainee of the dark arts would come to be called Bayonetta, she took a fateful journey into the forbidden Avalon Forest. Alongside her was Cheshire, her very first demon, possessing Cereza's stuffed toy. Play as both Cereza and Cheshire and search through the treacherous forest to look for the power to save Cereza's mother. Smartly balance Cereza's and Cheshire's individual strengths to solve puzzles and create safe passage through this enchanted world. The Dark Pictures, Switchback VR, PSVR 2. Immerse yourself in this fast-paced roller coaster action horror shooter where every move you make could mean the difference between life and death. Experience the thrill of the most nightmarish VR roller coaster action shooter, enhanced by the innovative features of PlayStation VR 2, and set inside the sinister world of the Dark Pictures Anthology. Come face-to-face with the most terrifying antagonists from Season 1 of the Dark Pictures Anthology and feel the horror up close with the PlayStation VR 2's innovative capabilities. WWE 2K23 PS5, Xbox Series XS, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. WWE 2K23 is even stronger with expanded features. Hit the ring with a deep roster of WWE superstars and legends including Roman Reigns, American Nightmare Cody Rhodes, Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and more. 2K Showcase returns as an interactive sports documentary focusing on the 20-year career of John Cena and War Games is finally here. So based on these three choices this week, Blue, what are you picking? (laughs) Not into wrestling games. I like the sound of the Dark Pictures switchback, except for it's a shooter and except for it's in VR. So otherwise, I think I would. <laughs> it would be so cool to play it. It sounds like it's kind of like a boss rush of all the the former Dark Pictures anthology bad guys. And I think that sounds like it would be really fun, if only for those two things. So that leaves me with Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon. And I have heard that it's it's a cute game. It's got a lot of like Alice in Wonderland type feel to it, which I like. Obviously, you have to solve puzzles, which I like. I I don't know. I I I'm kind of don't like it just from looking at it, but but maybe that's just a bad first impression. I probably should try it to see for myself. So of the three this week, that's the one I would go with. And just remember, you don't have to pick one just to pick one. I know. I feel like it makes a better show if I pick one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then somebody comes back later and is like, oh my God, how could you pick this game? It sucks. It totally sucks. You've got horrible taste. (laughs) Well, we usually pick the ones that review really terribly and end up being awful. (laughs) (laughs) Choo-choo Charlie. Yeah, (laughs) choo-choo Charlie. Oh, I had such high hopes. Ryan, what about you? What's your pick for this week? Uh, so instantly, I pre-ordered Bayonetta Origins, Cereza, and the Lost Demon because one of the podcast hosts here uh, is doing the voice of Bayonetta. I don't know if you guys heard that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Donnie, I'm here to support you, man. That Thank you. Nice. I appreciate that. <laughs> I lied, but um, <laughs> I'm glad that you read this as well because the first time I went through, I read it as Cereza, not Cereza. <laughs> ah, Cereza. Yes. <laughs> a whole different game. <laughs> I will say with uh, WWE 2K23, I think it was a really bold choice for them not to put anybody on the front cover. I see what you did there. Yeah, (laughs) That's a deep meme. That's a deep meme. (laughs) (laughs) 
But if I had to pick one, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a PSVR 2, so obviously I, I couldn't play this, but I think that Dark Pictures Switchback VR looks the most interesting. It looks like it's all jump scares, which is super dangerous in a VR game, so I'm all for it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> in fact, I'm just looking forward to them just posting videos on you know Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever. Of just jump scares? Yeah, grandma just go... <laughs> <laughs> I want my inheritance early. I'm going to have grandma. Play right. <laughs> grandma, we're going to take out a life insurance policy in your, in your name. <laughs> Just put me as a hundred percent beneficiary. Thank you. But uh, I'm, I'm not going to do what, what blue did. I'm not going to pick one of these. None of these are, are jumping out of me as, as something I need to pick up. day one. So uh, I'm making the show worse just for you. Right. <laughs> you're, ta- you're taking the Buddhist route and you're removing yourself from the equation. Exactly. <laughs> gotcha. It's the rush. Like, those who do not choose are still make a choice. I don't think he sounded like... Um... Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That guy does have a, a quite a Hello. high pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> it's run by fruiting. <laughs> what about you, Donnie? What did you pick? Uh, um, Bayonetta Origins is, is not my cup of tea. I, I'm not into the Bayonetta series at all. And uh, Even though you do the voice? Even though I do the voice. you know, I, I'm a hired hand. It doesn't mean I have to love the project that I'm working on. Donnie already got his paycheck. Yep. <laughs> WWE 2K3, I haven't played a wrestling game in, in quite some time, and I used to love them. Uh, the THQ games for the N64, absolutely love them. But ever since then, ever since they changed over to uh, like the SmackDown and all that stuff, I just I can't really get into them. Um, they, they felt clunky. Now, this they might have some uh, better mechanics and what looks like better graphics. So I could possibly see myself trying it but as far as spending money on it probably not the dark pictures switchback vr again like me ryan i don't have a psvr 2 but mm-hmm. looking at this gameplay i'm just like okay i i would probably crap myself a million times over playing this and the fact that i actually have to use my entire body to play it i think my whole body would be shaking like if you had me record the gameplay the guy holding the guns you could see a constant shake on both of the guns because i would be shaking so badly i would be excited to play this game but again don't own a psvr too you should get one and stream that Part of it be the gameplay and part of it be a full body camera on you so we can catch every leg shake. (laughs) I say you invest in some depends and we just make it a just just zero in on his crotch. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a different kind of stream. (laughs) Donnie crotch cam. Crotch cam. All right, everybody. So for March, we couldn't really decide on what game to give away. So what we decided was to put you in charge. You're the boss this month. We are giving away a $50 gift card to your preferred platform of choice, whether that's Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, or Steam. To enter our giveaway, look for at Retro Game Brews pin tweet on Friday morning, March 17th. Give our Twitter account at GamersWeekPC a follow and retweet for one entry. If you want two more entries, comment with a picture or a screenshot of you listening to episode 64 for a possible total of three entries. Entries will be accepted from Friday, March 17th to Tuesday, March 21st. You're already listening to the episode, so you might as well enter now before you forget. 
All right, let's go ahead and take a look at our main topic. From Digital Trends, it's time for the age of always online single-player games to end. Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is one of the most anticipated PlayStation 5 games of the year, as it promises that DC Comics fans will get to see their favorite anti-heroes wreak havoc in the Batman Arkhamverse. The co-op action game features a storyline straight out of Marvel's What If, with most members of the Justice League getting brainwashed by Brainiac. And it has the distinction of featuring Kevin Conroy's final voice performance as the Dark Knight. On paper, it has a lot going for it. There's just one problem, though. You can only play it online even when you're going solo. It's not the only big 2023 release taking that approach either. Bethesda's Redfall will also require a constant connection too, whether you're squatting up with friends or not. It's one thing to design multiplayer co-op games to be connected online at all times so that people can play with each other. You can't have a massively multiplayer online game without the online part. But it's another thing to lock single-player console games behind that requirement. It's a practice that's only become more complicated over time, creating unnecessary access and preservation issues, and play Players may be at their breaking point in 2023. You're on mute again, Ryan. Motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> I had a really funny flub too, though. So you guys missed it. Darn uh, it! It's like Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. <laughs> Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and Redfall are not the first games to be always online. And they likely won't be the last. Even in a single-player game, persistent authentication allows companies to combat copyright infringement, which is a reasonable enough concern. As far as cheating is concerned, game developers have explained that they often use the tech so that that the save files aren't hacked or edited. Gran Turismo creator Kazunori Tamauchi explained last year that save files in Gran Turismo 7 are stored in the Polyphony digital server to protect them from corruption, forcing players to connect to the internet in order to progress through the game in offline modes. The impulse makes sense, but it presents a double-edged sword. On the player side, constant connection can lead to poor performance or significant frame rate drops even when implemented with the best intentions. The anti-piracy tools that come with always online tech do not do much to prevent some players from buying games illegally anyways. When it comes to the always online debate, there are two key issues at play. One is a simple issue of access. Internet connection is not a consistent factor. Some people live in areas where the internet is as slow as molasses, while others may not be able to afford the kind of high-speed plan needed to run a game online well. Online-only games are part of a wider trend that sees modern gaming being tied to the internet more than ever. Take cloud gaming, for instance. The well-meaning tech posits that anyone with an internet connection can play high-end console games without an expensive device, but that's still not the case depending on where you live. Heavy reliance on internet connections disproportionately impacts rural areas in the U.S. and puts those who can't afford high-speed internet at a disadvantage, too. It makes sense for a multiplayer game that doesn't function without other players, But using the tech for games that can be played solo presents a frustrating roadblock for many. Even for gamers who do have access to reliable internet, the biggest issue with online-only single-player games is a preservation one. Once a game company decides to take down some game servers, that's it. The game becomes inaccessible for anyone to play, even by themselves. It's lost to time. Locking games behind online connectivity to prevent misdeeds may be well and good for studios, but it opens up a complicated list of issues. It's a short-sighted measure with long-term repercussions for video game history and our ability to preserve it. And until all internet connections are created equal, it'll always have an exclusionary side effect for certain players. Until there's a way to solve both of these issues, 
having games be always online and single player play is sure to remain an unpopular move. Thanks. We hate it. Yeah, exactly. The last point is what uh, is bothers me most about this. And because it's some, uh, as somebody who feels as though they're connected in game preservation in some accord, uh, being able to collect for games and play them later on. You know, we were just talking about the Wii U potentially breaking last time uh, we were on the podcast and the implications that that would have in order when it comes to game preservation. But th- this is kind of designed into the game to create a situation where players won't be able to play it uh, in, in the future. And you'll more than likely be relying on somebody creating some kind of hack that's going to let you do that. But that's a pain in the ass to be able to do that. You'll Mm -hmm. go to a store, go ahead and pick up one of these games and essentially have to do homework in order to get it to play. And that to me is just, it's asinine to set it up that way. Now, granted, the other part of this being connectivity is is a big problem as well. But to me, I think the biggest sin is this idea that you won't be able to preserve these games in its original form. Yeah, I don't really get that per se, because the code should always be there. I mean, even in the digital age now, there should be no reason why uh, games preservation can't exist. All right. You have source code that's on servers and, and whatnot, like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. So seeing this as a, as a, as a way to, to undermine games preservation doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I think what happens is that the game is constantly checking to see if you're online uh, so that it can run one of those programs for anti-cheat making sure that you're you're not playing it uh, illegally as well. Right. So what it does is if it can't connect to the internet, it locks it out, which is crap, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Because now you're forcing me into having expensive internet connections just to be able to play this thing comfortably. Right. But the other piece to that is that if, if that server is now taken down years later, it has nothing to connect to. So the game is go- still going to want to, right? That's correct. So you have the game, which you could very well play on the disc... If, if the content was there, but it's like, nope, we can't reach the server. Sorry, you can't play it. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, Donnie's absolutely right. There is no reason it should be taken down. It's just that nobody wants to bother to, to make it accessible. Right. And and that's really what it comes down to. It's the same kind of lazy reason that the Wii U is is bricking is because Nintendo just hasn't bothered to fix it. Is that the, the games companies themselves don't see value in their old products, which is a bigger issue than than online single player games. Right. Right. So at the end of the day, if you're going to make a game like this, there has to be some mechanism that would allow you to play it in the event that the server is no longer there. But that also probably leads to hacking and cheating where people can be like, oh, I've turned on the the server no longer exists (laughs) option (laughs) in the code. If, if, if they're playing single player, who cares? Yeah, I, I, I don't really right. care. It's like Game Genie. Like, I didn't care that you had a Game Genie. Go ahead and get unlimited lives. Go ahead and be, you know, invincible when it comes down to it. I don't care. It's the, I think it's the piracy piece that they're concerned with mostly. But long term, if somebody's going to take the time to pirate a game, they they weren't going to buy your stuff anyway. Yeah, so if they're going to pirate the game, they're going to pirate your game. Right. Yeah, somebody's going to take this content and release it somehow. Some employee right. might be jaded, jilted, or what have you, and say, "You know what? I'm going to take this and release it out to somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to leak it, and bam, there you go. Now your stuff's out there for free, and it always happens. But it's not their target market. The person who's pirating the game is never going to be the person that that buys the game outright. Why it, are you punishing those of us who actually pay for your games? Exactly. That's kind of my point. Is it's having a bigger impact on the people that want to use it versus the people who want to use it illegally. Kind of like 
drugs, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But we at the podcast don't encourage you to take drugs. <laughs> Unless it's legal. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I, I don't feel that internet connections are necessary for single player video games. Absolutely. They're single player experience. It's not co-op. It's not multiplayer. Don't force me to have an always on internet connection. Because if you do that, I would like to say that you would see an uptick in people playing more retro focused stuff that you can emulate or what have you. So the question is like, how do you, how do we as gamers have an impact on making sure that these types of games don't get released that way? Don't buy them. Yeah. The same way that, that we put our point across about anything we don't like is just don't buy it. But there's going to be people that do buy it. So the yeah. amount of people protesting, saying they're not going to buy it up against the people that are like, eh, whatever, I still want to play this game and they go ahead and do it. I mean, there's so many people out there who are going to play Suicide Squad no matter what. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the only thing is that apparently it's been delayed yet again because the game is really bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this will be a, a null point anyway. The game will just self-destruct on its own. But Redfall, I think, you know, that's another thing that people have been waiting a long time for. You are one of them, Ryan. Are you going to play Redfall even though you have to always be online? Are you muted again, Ryan? He is. Uh, wow. There comes a charm. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, I will play it. I mean, it's, it's not something that is having necessarily an impact on me uh, right away, at least. So I'll have the game and I'll have the memories. So there's that. It's like going to a concert, right? You get to experience it once. And then uh, think about it uh, as the good old days, because, you know, in 20 years when the server's down, I'll never be able to play it again. So maybe I should play it on Twitch so I have something to actually remember it by. <laughs> well, no, because then you'd have to download the videos because starting September, I think they're going to, oh. uh, it's only going to be a certain amount of time where the videos stay and they're gone. Is it still allow you to post on YouTube like it did back in the day? I think so. So you'd, uh, you'd have to download the video and then upload it to YouTube. What a pain in the ass. <laughs> nobody, nobody appreciates the gamers. It's always about the money or, oh, we need more server space. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, <laughs> just do something for us for a change. Mm, huh. No. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> no, I don't think I will. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Leaves Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more, which Blue and I were on over the weekend. Uh, so we if you haven't checked yeah. out that, uh, that episode, uh, we crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't tell you who won, but I think Gamers Week podcast, we walked away with our heads held high. Definitely. Well... Of course, we always do the the trivia question for the week, and this is this week's trivia question. We all know about Capcom's licensed Disney games on the NES, but do you know which of their other licensed titles was based on a comic strip that ran from 1905 to 1927? Tune into the Leadus podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the Leadus on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have the links in the show notes. So what do you think it is? That time frame makes me think something like redacted. 
but Capcom didn't have a redacted game. I, I didn't know if they did, but I was just thinking, what's <laughs> a really old IP? Yeah, I don't know. There were so many comic strips back in the day that, right. I mean, they were just a flood of them. So trying to remember which one Capcom had on the NES. Uh, I took a stab at this one because I knew of a pretty popular Capcom game. Okay. I was correct. Uh, okay. So redacted Disney still, but that's not, they didn't have a, it's not that old. Uh, right. Yeah, that's true. Um, redacted. Very good. That was a comic strip. Uh, yes, it was. Hmm. The more, you know, right. Cause I'm sure you're really up on your comic strips from 1905. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you for coming, students. Please take your seats. Welcome back to Professor Rybrett's Gaming History 101. And in today's lesson, this is the 64th time we have brought Gamers Week into your ear holes. So I thought it'd be fitting to discuss the only console that used 64 in its name. And I mean home console, not computer. <laughs> the Commodore 64. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a computer in my back. <laughs> We'll be spending this week talking about the launch of the Nintendo 64. So it's 1993. The Super Nintendo has been out for two years in North America, three years in Japan. Nintendo is looking at its future as to what their next console will be. The release of the Atari Jaguar and the Panasonic 3DO is scheduled for later in the year. The Sega Saturn will launch next year. The Sega CD has been out for a little less than a year. And the Philips CDI has been out for two years, but less time if you think about it as how long it's been out as a dedicated console. And Nintendo is still working with 16-bit technology. So early in 1993, Nintendo released games like Star Fox and its Mode 7 graphics to produce faux 3D games to help stem off customers from jumping ship from the big end and going with another console with these new polygonal looking games. Seeing that the writing was on the wall, Nintendo knows that its next console has to be able to compete both graphically and technologically with all of these old adversaries and new players in the market, including one that they would eventually inadvertently create themselves, Sony. Which, if you're interested in learning about the Nintendo PlayStation, I uh, actually did a History 101 on that one a while back. So, definitely check that one out. Go download the full library and find it out. <laughs> uh, from every uh, device that you have in your house. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Now enter into the mix Silicon Graphics, a company that up until this point had made CPU chips for commercial use where high-powered computing was needed. Seeing that the video game rebound or the video games rebounded and were here to stay, the CEO sought to make a consumer market CPU that would be used in video game consoles and that would be powerful but would use a quarter of the wattage. Of course, with everything in the early 1990s, it turned out to be a rivalry between Sega and Nintendo. So Silicon Graphics approached Sega of America with their new chipset, which they were impressed with. However, they needed to get the approval of headquarters in Japan, who got a hold of the new chip, analyzed it, and saw some issues with the system. Seeing the writing on the wall again, uh, Silicon Graphics decided to approach Nintendo as well. Now, according to the official Nintendo account... They claimed that they were Silicon Graphics' top choice to partner with, but it might be one of those we'll never know and does, any, does it really matter kind of moments. <laughs> and nonetheless, Silicon Graphics fixed the issues uncovered by Sega, walked into Nintendo, and worked out a partnership that would go on 
by the codename of Project Reality. The partnership was announced in August of 1993, speculating that they would release games in the arcade in 1994 and the console in 1995. Now, Silicon Graphics started work on the new console by taking their Onyx supercomputer that would retail for uh, almost $250,000 or about $500,000 today and simplifying it down to what would be in every Project Reality console. Now, being that it was a video game console, a mouse and keyboard wouldn't work as an input device. So they had a program for a controller as well. Now, the controller took the basic parts of the Super Nintendo controller, which include the D-pad, the ABXY buttons, start and select, and shoulder buttons, and added an analog stick and a Z-trigger button to make it easier for players to move around in 3D environments. Now, details of the controller were considered extremely sensitive information and were protected at all costs. They had specific protocols that developers had to follow when developing for the system, which included hiding it from all non-essential personnel. And that includes when the device needed to travel within their building. Ooh, like a black case football type of thing. Yeah, you got it. So a developer from LucasArts said that they had to hide it in a cardboard box when moving the controller and had to make up excuses on the spot as to what they were doing to not reveal what was in the box. Now, the movie Seven wouldn't come out for another year, so they couldn't use the joke that it was. (laughs) (laughs) What was in the box? Now, flash forward to a year later in 1994, where Nintendo announced the release of the upcoming Ultra 64. Now, this announcement revealed partnerships with the likes of Lucas, Rare, Williams, Acclaim, and Spectrum Holobyte, to name a few. Now, they showcased the round gray design and the ROM cartridge, but not the controller. Now, Nintendo's choice to use carts instead of CD-ROMs forced much of the press to scratch their heads, but Nintendo had been saying all along they would switch to CDs when the issues with buffering and load times were fixed. No mention from them on the limitations that occurred for not being able to play larger games due to their choice to go with carts, though. As alluded to before, Nintendo was working on arcade games for the console to partner with at launch. So they provided examples of two games, Killer Instinct and Cruisin' USA, which would be available in the arcade and at home with very little differences. The console itself was was actually ready by 1995, but there was one problem. The launch titles, which included Pilot Wings and Super Mario 64, would not be ready until June of 1996. This allowed PlayStation and Sega Saturn to gain more market share with advanced consoles, even though they were only 32-bit systems themselves. Now, the Ultra 64 became just the Nintendo 64 or N64 after it was discovered that Konami had a copyright claim to the name Ultra, ironically, for their Ultra Games company that they created to get around Nintendo's draconian NES console rules. The irony is so thick, you can taste it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Nintendo's choice to go with carts instead of ROMs actually ended a few key partnerships with third-party developers, mostly Square and Enix, who jumped ship to develop for Sony's PlayStation, leaving the N64 library with a gaping hole of RPGs. System would go on to sell 30 or so million units, which is 20 million less than its predecessor, the Super Nintendo. Many have speculated as to why it didn't perform as well as the SNES, but it seems to be a combination of much smaller library of games, a lack of third-party developer support, increased competition, and some even posture that the controller turned people off. Regardless, there are some really great gems for the system that every player should play. My list 
are both Zelda games, F-Zero X, Body Harvest, Jet Force Gemini, Star Fox 64, Super Mario 64, Perfect Dark, Mario Kart 64, Banjo-Kazooie, Diddy Kong Racing, and StarCraft 64. Just kidding on that last one. (laughs) (laughs) But Thank you. So to wrap that up, uh, you know, a gem to some, not so to others. The N64, however, cannot be disputed on its impact on the video game industry. The push to 3D helps create more immersive games that use visual storytelling and early haptic feedback with the Rumble Pack. Thank you for attending today's Gaming History 101. And just a reminder, if you have ideas for a story you'd like to hear us, message us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com and we might feature your suggestion. All right, that about does it for today. So thank you for listening to episode 64 of the Gamers Week podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast, the latest podcast and love retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. And if you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. And of course, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. Finally, since you made it all the way to the end of the episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And I felt so dirty giving props to the N64. (laughs) I know. I'm going to go take a shower. I can sense your whole body cringe the entire time. Yeah, we didn't want to point it out. We thought you were humiliated enough already. We weren't going to rub it in. Forever unclean. (laughs) All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, peeps. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like, ah, ah, ah. I Google Street Fighter 6, the first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's dick in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your dick fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> If you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.